All right. So what are uh, yeah? What are some what are some uh, thoughts that you guys have about what's uh, what's going on um, when uh, when someone uh, is struggling with temptation or sin, just kind of in the midst of it? What's he doing? I heard somebody said we feel like he's disappointed. So just kind of is he like looking at it? Just kind of shaking shaking his head. Is that kind of a picture that we have sometimes? What else? He's there. Okay, good. That's true. <laughs> what other pictures do we have? Just a couple other ones. Do you think about it? Sometimes it's like, well, actually, I don't think about it. Like, I don't want to think about it. You know, it's kind of like thinking about what do my parents think <laughs> when I'm doing, you know, something that I clearly know is not, not the best thing I could be doing. Okay. Yeah. Megan. Gotcha. Okay. He's like her again, this thing again. Yeah. So yeah, so I would say most people as I have this conversation with them, they say he's disappointed. You know, some say like, well, he's there, but I don't know what he's doing. Sometimes it's like, I don't want to know. I don't think about that. Right. Or that he's uh, kind of passive aggressive. Um, So I want to distinguish when we're thinking about um, when we're thinking about the idea of um, where God is with this. I want us to distinguish between like God's general uh, demeanor uh, towards humans, right? So a lot of times we think like, well, maybe he's, he's disappointed in, in non-followers of Jesus or, or he's really, really disappointed, right, in followers of Jesus. So I just want to remind you of a couple, a couple verses. So a really uh, helpful chapter that I refer to often, it's one of these days we'll do kind of a study through it, uh, but Ezekiel 18, 23, and there's another one in 32. He says emphatically, right, I do not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Right, so he's sharing with, for those that have not been reconciled to God, for those that are far from God, right, he does not take any pleasure, right, in their destruction, in their death, right, in their falling short of him. Right, he says, declares the Lord, rather that, we should t- uh, rather that that person should turn from his ways and live. Right, so it's given us a picture of even those that are far from him and don't know him, right, that are not his, that they are his, right? He created them. And so um, I think that's really helpful, um, a really helpful distinction. So later on, in that, uh, later on in that shame chapter, he says in Ezekiel 18.32, For I, have no, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, therefore repent and live. So over and over again, we see this sort of verbiage that this is, that God wants us to understand, right, how he feels about people, right? But then what we want to talk about this morning is how does he feel towards Christians or followers uh, of Jesus? And so the first uh, kind of idea that we want to um, come into is this idea of kind of reconciled versus not reconciled. So think about if any of you have ever been um, uh, estranged from a friend, right? or a parent, grandparent. Um, I know a lot of folks that, that that is part of their story. And so, um, but so let's say that that relationship has then been reconciled. That's what the Bible talks about as we are in Christ, right? We have been reconciled, right? From, um, from being far away or having no relationship to a saving relationship. And so, um, so in the midst of what does it feel like to be reconciled, I want us to, I want us to uh, think in those terms. So, um, so, so here's the, uh, the thing that I want you guys to uh, discuss around the tables. What do you think is the difference between sin and temptation 
And does God look on these any differently? All right, so just however you answer, what's the difference between sin and temptation? Does God look on these any differently? All right, so, um, so somebody share what, uh, what they think uh, differentiates those two things. All right, right down front. Keith, what you got? What was the wisdom of your table? Okay, good. All right. Matt? Uh, so, I credit the dolls, like the advertising temptation, but I have <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, well said. Well said. All right, how about, how about uh, back here? Okay. Sure. For sure. So how many of you, though, as it relates to our relationship with the Lord, count them the same? Not meaning the feeling like because I am tempted to do something that I actually invite condemnation into my life, regardless if I actually sin or not, right? Just being tempted, right, so oftentimes is... A condemning action, right? Because we don't uh, we don't kind of wrap our heads around the difference between those two. Any anybody else struggle with with that? Yeah, for sure. So in the midst of talking about um, how God, uh, where God is in the midst of our sin, I think this is the first different differentiation here um, is to is to not like be okay, like oh, invite temptation, but like temptation is not sin. Okay, like it's never been sin. It will never be sin. And so we have to um, we have to have that mentality, because if God is upset with me, um, possibly being tempted by stuff, how in the world can I have him enter into uh, my struggle with like that temptation turning into sin? Right. So he's we've already driven him far enough away. He can't enter into the thing I actually need him to. to enter into if I get if I get that far, so we want to spell out just real quick a couple things to remind us how um, that temptation is not sin. So the first uh, so the first scripture and these should be ones you're familiar with. If not, this will be really helpful for you. So the first one is First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen, and it says, "No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man." So as it relates to what your particular temptations are, a lot of times what the um, what the, uh, what the devil does is helps, wants to isolate us, right? In the fact of like that my temptation is specific to me, right? That only I struggle with this, only I um, have a problem with it, and only I, only God is disappointed with me. He must not ever be disappointed with anyone else, right? And so Paul here is reminding us that the, any, the, any temptation that you will ever face is the most common thing Tour, uh, in relation to our human experience, right? It also says that in the midst of that temptation, that God is faithful, he's not disappointed, right? It doesn't say it's common to man, but God is judging you about the things, right, that you're tempted in. It doesn't say that. It says God is faithful in the midst of 
your common temptation. And it goes on, he says, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. How could that be comforting to you? Because when we are tempted, it is like, okay, I'm tempted to like be really, really mad in the car because my expectation is, well, everyone drives according to my wishes, right? So as they don't do that, I'm tempted, right, to rage. <laughs> so what is this, what is this saying? Just somebody uh, out loud. What does it mean for he will not attempt you beyond what you are able? Anybody got any ideas? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I also want to offer up that that you that he's saying that you can right stand up against what it is. Our habit is not to. Our habit is like when I'm mad on the road that I rage. <laughs> like I'm tempted to rage and I just rage. And we don't have a distinction between those two things. But he said like, hey, whatever is tempting you. Right. It is it is in your power. Right. To not be overcome by it. Now he's going to we're going to talk about that. He's going to enter into give you more power uh, in certain instances. But it's like it's but he's never going to you're never going to be tempted beyond what you're currently able. Right. To process or do away with. This should be really comforting that you have a lot more power than you allow. Right. Our, our sin lives, the things that we're tempted with, that's just the soup that we haven't really kind of parsed out very well. And then in the midst of that, he also says, but with the temptation, I'll provide a way of escape so that you will able to endure it. What was this maybe then speaking into? Thinking about your feelings of how you feel when you're tempted or how you feel when you kind of give in to said temptation, whatever it might be. How, how might this be good information for you as you are engaged? Yep. My feeling is what I think I'm as strong as, but yep. that's not true. Like, that's not the truth in the situation. So we're stronger than we think we are. We are. So has anybody ever had like a feeling and then not done anything about it and like and then it passes? It's weird. Most people don't. They just like kind of do whatever it is. They feel like I just really need some Doritos. So what if you just don't eat some Doritos? Will you die? <laughs> The one time that I didn't eat the Doritos when I wanted to, I didn't die. So that's all the information that can go on. But these are promises to us. So a lot of times we read these things, right? And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. I can put that, I can put that um, on my screensaver. But, but am, I, am I actually taking him at his word? So the second, um, so the second uh, scripture, there's lots of these, but the only one we want to touch on here before we get into a couple other things is, this, uh, is the verse in James 1, 13 through 15 that says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So here, I think, is the, the really quintessential verse that helps us distinguish between temptation and sin. Right? Temptation is common to us. Right? Sin is common to us as well. But we need to understand that there's... There is a lot that should be happening in our temptation. And I think our experience is not that much, right? Our experience is like I'll walk up to, let's say, a, a slide, right? 
and I'm, oh, I, I really want to slide down that slide, and I literally just slide down it. Like, that is my whole experience with temptation and sin, yes? And we don't, there's not a whole lot of gray area as it relates to, well, okay, I'm being tempted, or I'm trying to be proactive to God would not lead me into temptation, right? Or that I would be aware of what my particular temptations are. Anybody know what their temptations are? Like their unique ones, right? There's, there's, there's all the common ones, but then there's the, the ones that like I'm really good at of being tempted by, yeah? And so being aware of those can be really helpful. But then it talks about what it looks like, right? So what's not sin? So, uh, so temptation is not sin. He's carried away in his own lust. Again, that's not sin. That's just being human, right? But then it says when lust has conceived, right? What's the point at which right? Temptation has crossed over into sin. What do you think? What's described here? Yep. Yep. Right. So I, I think, I, so if you are writing that down in your head or some notes or whatever, when our, when our will yields to our desire, I think that's really well put. So here's the, so here is um, what we get from these two verses, and then we'll, uh, and we'll move on, right? Temptation is not sin. I want you to say, like, in your head, like, what I'm tempted by, that is not sin, right? That is not sin, that is not sin, that is not sin. What I'm tempted by is not sin, right? God, God is never the author of that. He's not trying to test you, right, in that way. We are tempted by our own wants, right? But we see them as needs in the moment. Man, I really need those Doritos. Okay, we're just using kind of a silly example. The, the feeling is that I must have that or I'll die if I don't, right? That's not actually what will happen, but that's the feeling, right? I have to say this thing to this person. I just, I have to, I'll die if I don't say it, right? That's the lie, right? And then when we do, when we give in to that, that is... What we, uh, what we move into. So I want to look at a couple uh, of ideas here, right, about then, so if we differentiate those two things, then let's talk about those two things in more detail in God's attitude, right? What is God's attitude towards sin and the temptation of the Jesus follower? Why this is really important is because in, this is your life. Like, all day long you're tempted, all day long you sin or don't sin, and then you feel some sort of way about it. And depending upon how you feel about it, it is like, robbing your joy, <laughs> condemning you, uh, you feel judged, you're trying to l make sure that people don't find out about this, and yet the person that we have entered into relationship with is the person that we are freezing out, right? God is, is not here just to praise you when you're good or when you read your Bible, and he's like, I saw that, right? Check mark, sticker for Nathan. God is here right, to enter into our temptation and sin, right, and begin helping us, uh, helping that not be the continued pattern of our lives. That if you have a friend, right, that cares for you and you let them into the things that you're struggling with, wouldn't it make sense that if that person was a friend to you that they would want to help you work through the crap that you don't want to do? And yet, with God, all we do is we think he just forgives us <laughs> that he's there just for forgiveness, not in the midst of what we're tempted by or 
um, if I'm in the midst of you know, sliding down whatever my slide looks like, right? And so I'm saying this because this has been my experience for a large portion of my life. And I don't want it, uh, and it has uh, not continued to be, and I don't want it to be for you. Uh, here's a, um, an author, uh, Dayton Ortland says uh, this, and I think it's really helpful for us. And so I want um, you guys to kick this around for a second. So here, uh, so he's talking about uh, this phenomenon about God's attitude, and he says, "Here we in, uh, enter in to one of the most profoundest mysteries of the God of uh, of who God in Christ is. Not only are holiness and sinfulness mutually exclusive, but Christ, being perfectly holy, knows and feels the horror and weight of any sin more deeply than any of us sinful ones could." Just as the purer a man's heart, the more horrified he is at the thought of the neighbors being robbed or abused. Conversely, the more corrupt one's heart, the less one is affected by the evils all around it. Carry the analogy a little further. Just as the purer heart, the more horrified at evil, so also the purer the heart, the more it is naturally drawn out to help and relieve and protect and comfort. Whereas a corrupt heart sits still, indifferent. And that is a thought that we need this morning because at best, right, we think maybe God is like waiting for us to finish yelling at someone (laughs) or being anxious or doing some sexual sin or just doing something that mom says we ought not do, whatever, whatever that may be. And yet the opposite is the fact, right, that he longs just like if my son is messing up i don't i'm not like waiting for him and then just ready to pounce but like hey in the midst of what you're dealing with like hey like how can i help you like i I am i understand your plight and i want to enter into it and help you not condemn you right it says this this is kind of how our hearts are right our corrupt hearts sit still indifferent to other people's sin so that i think that's the the a really core piece of kind of our maturity in Christ is how do we feel towards sin? Because particularly at this stage of like young adulthood, I mean, I sat as a, in judgment of my friends, right? And they sat in judgment over me. I was indifferent to my own sin because I didn't know what to do with it, right? And I was indifferent towards theirs. It's like, man, those, those guys, they, they should know better, right? But God doesn't look at us like that. To go on, so with Christ, his holiness finds evil revolting, more revolting than any of us could ever feel. But it is that very holiness that also draws his heart out to help and relieve and protect and comfort. When you are struggling in the midst of something, if it was available to you, would you want someone to enter into that and like help? Right? It's like I'm clinging on the edge of a rock. (laughs) right don't I want somebody to like be there in the midst of that like it's awful but like why would I want to be alone in that not to to help me slide down the slide but to fight and to deal with it right to give me a hug right after like are you okay like I know that's not probably what you wanted to do but it's not we're not we typically are not sinning like out of spite right we're tempted and then we fall and it's the midst of thinking about like that do we realize how much God wants to enter into that to help us not do the thing that we don't want to do. So thoughts about that? Questions? 
so um, God is not, so we definitely don't uh, test, right, God? Jesus tells us this in the, uh, in the temptation of Christ, right? That where the devil tries to tempt God to sh- make God show himself. Um, but very, very few times is God uh, testing us in the way that he does Abraham, for instance, right? Um, but what James is describing, right, is it's not something that God puts in front of us. It's a, it's a, car, it, it's a, it's a, it's a want, right, that, that we want, that we, you know, don't really need. And that typically is 99.9% of our experience, right, of thinking that this thing will make it better, whatever it is, right? So reminding ourselves as we talk about sin, that sin is missing a mark, right? That God has created us to hit a particular type, to hit a mark, right? To live life well, right? To flourish, to do, to like, right, to do righteously, to do rightly, to do correctly, right? And we think that the incorrect thing will bring us more joy than the right thing. And so I think very few times, it, it would have to be like real specific where you say, well, you think, and again, it'd just be my opinion. Do you think this is testing? And, and 99.9% of the time, I don't think it would be. It's almost always something in innate in us that I want that is trying to fix some issue that I'm having, some hole that I don't have. Great question. Other thoughts as far as his attitude towards us? Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean by that? To flee from, to, yeah, just, right. Yeah, so, um, so the, what would it mean for McDonald's, if, to use the metaphor of McDonald's commercial comes on and that, if, if that looks enticing to me, right, that I sit there and I move from, that's interesting and that food looks fine, where it was, there's nothing wrong with that. We can look at things, right, and appreciate them, okay? Um, but, uh, but then where, where does it go, right? Where does the thing move from, hey, that is right and good to it's not right and good anymore, right? I've crossed the boundary as to what God has um, asked me to do. Because the keeping in the boundary is the good and crossing that boundary is you know, not helpful in some way. So it would, so I think, that's the, I think that would be uh, the distinction is he's asking me to flee from that. So if, I'm, if, I, if I need to, if I'm tempted to watch that commercial over and over and over to drive my hunger, right, then to flee from that would be to cut it off, right? To not, to, to get away from the television, you know, whatever that might look like. Okay? Other questions there as far as his attitude? All right, so let's look at one more quote here. All right, so he goes on to say, if you are part of Christ's own body, your sins evoke the deepest heart, his compassion and his pity. He takes part with you, that is. He is on your side. He sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. You understand that? So if I have somebody that I care for, my friend or my uh, a child or you know, some family member, when something happens to them, I'm not... Um, 
that God is for us, right? He's against the thing that we're doing, but he's ultimately for us, not just like mad that it happened. Does that make sense? Like that's a really important, important distinction that I think he makes there. It's helpful. He is on your side. He sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. And I think that that is how we think about it. He hates sin, but he loves you. Do you need to write that down? God hates sin, but he loves you. If you saw somebody doing something that was detrimental to them, would you run to them and try to stop them and offer help? Or would you just sit there and yell at them? Or wait till they're finished and then judge them and punish them? We understand this. I was talking about uh, Thomas Goodwin, just an old... Uh, an old pastor. When we consider the hatred a father has against a terrible disease afflicting his child, the father hates the disease while loving the child. Indeed, at the same level, the presence of the disease draws out his heart to his child all the more. This is not to ignore the, the disciplinary side of Christ's care for his people. The Bible clearly teaches that our sins draw forth the discipline of Christ. Because he loves us as in the midst of, like he wants to come to our aid and help us work through what's going on, but he also like wants to help us not continue to do that. And so he's not, he's not punishing us, he is coaching us, right? Like he's wanting to fix, right, the, the things that are going on. So, so oftentimes we don't look at God as a coach, we look at him as, uh, as a punisher, Right? Oh, X must be happening because I did Y. Yes, we do this. We, we, we impose a level of karma. <laughs> and yet thinking about how the Bible actually portrays Jesus. So let's finish up here. He would not truly love, love us if this were not true. But even this is a reflection of the God's heart for us. When a body part has been injured, it requires the pain and labor of physical therapy. But that physical therapy is not punitive. It is intended to bring healing. It is out of care for that limb that the physical therapy is assigned. So any of you guys play sports ever growing up? You have a coach that's wanting you to run like suicides or something? And you're like, why? Right, where, and selfishly, I don't want to do that. It's terrible. It feels terrible. I don't like it anytime I'm doing it. But why is the coach asking you to do that? You didn't do anything, he, but he is disciplining you. Why? What does he want to happen? Endurance. Endurance. He wants to inflict his own right structure on you so that you will be able to endure. This is what God enters in with us. Right? His discipline is not punitive. Right? It's not punishment. He does do that <laughs> after a while. But in the midst of his relationship with us, right, he is, he is, it needs to be thought about as coaching. So here's where we want to um, spend the last few minutes of our time. Turn to uh, the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be in a, just a couple of different scriptures here to finish out. So I think this is the most helpful verse for us to remember God's attitude towards us, to our temptation, and to our sin. Okay? Remember, he, he hates sin, but he loves you. He hates sin so much, right, that he sacrificed himself for you. If there was any other way, Father, take this, uh, let's do it. 
But because there wasn't, he said, let's do it because he hates sin that much. He hates us missing the mark that much. So Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we were yet without sin. Here is the beautiful part of this, that at one hand that we have person that he was tempted his entire life. He knows what temptation is. He felt it deeply. He wanted to do certain things, I'm sure, but he didn't do them. So we have a person that knows intimately temptation, right? That's the, that is the hard part. The easy part is the sin, <laughs> right? The easy part actually is the sin. The hard part is the temptation. And he endured the hard part, right? And so we have an advocate who has every bit of compassion and mercy for us and has a person who has overcome and done what we want to do. You understand that? That's the person who wants to care for you. The person who knows exactly what it feels like to be in your shoes and also knows exactly what it feels like to not give in, to fight, right? It was, it was not nothing for him not to sin, okay? It had to be actual temptation. So the last part, and then I want you to do one more uh, discussion point. And this is Hebrews 5.2. So the, the insinuation is because of what we've said there, that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided. So the two different things here, so that the ignorant is going to be the person that just doesn't know, right? Just doesn't know what's going on. Right, has, does not understand maybe God's law or his instruction. Right? A lot of times we're like, it's okay, it's okay, you didn't know. Right? So he, know, he deals with that person, and he also deals with the misguided. And the misguided is, I do it, uh, I accept the lie. I know what the right thing is to do, and I do the wrong thing anyway. And that is what it means to be misguided. So what he's saying is, he's not, he's not singling anybody's out. He says, I deal gently with everybody. So knowing those two things, I want you to talk about what does it mean then if I were to actually see God having those attributes and having that attitude towards me in the midst of whatever it is I'm struggling with at the time I'm struggling with. Kick that around. Um, Kick that around your table real quick and we'll finish up. Knowing the, so these past two verses, 415, 5-2, knowing this about Jesus, how does that change how might that change the game for you? All right. So as we finish up, respond, uh, respond to that truth. What, what difference does that make? What difference could that make in your day-to-day life? I heard some good stuff. Yeah, true. I guess a lot of times we hear the phrase like, you know, God's here, He loves the broken, and no matter what you've done, but whenever we sin, we sort of see if we believe that. Right. But if we begin to actually truly believe what this is saying, it's like when we sin, we won't do the whole, like, run away from God and try to hide it. Feel better, like, you'll run to Him, even if you just, like, actually blown it. Right. What would this look like if Adam and Eve had practiced this? He's physically present with them. Hey, does the, the, the snake's telling me one thing. Like, what you got? <laughs> right? We're almost ashamed that we're tempted. 
All right, we've got to get over this, guys. If, I'm, if I've lost because I have, I'm tempted by what is common, like I'm never going to run to God. Somebody else? Another thought. What does it matter? That's a great word. So Hebrews 2.18, that same book tells us, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. All right, what does it look like for God to come to your aid in the midst of that? In the midst of me flying off the handle for some reason, right? Or to engage in this thing that I really don't want to continue to engage in. Right? Or to have some feelings that I don't want to feel. So I want to end with, um, with this passage here, and I was talking, Megan and I had a long conversation about this, but I'm just going to point this out to you, and we'll, we'll close here. So in Hebrews here, this scripture is oftentimes read as talking about what, um, what the Bible does. But if you think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I want you to draw your attention to that this particular passage, one of the 15 verses we read earlier, this whole passage is talking about what Jesus wants you to do in the midst of your temptation and sin. And he says this, For the word of God is living and active. Who is the word of God? Jesus. The Bible is not active. Jesus is active. Right? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What this is saying is there is nothing, and you know this to be true, there is nothing that escapes Jesus' notice. Nothing. And because that's the fact, then why are we scared to let him into those spaces? Right? He's saying, I know everything. Like, I'm going to get in there. Like, I know all the nooks and crannies of your heart. And, and as opposed to that being like, so I got gotcha. you. He's like, I know how terrible you can be, and I love you anyway. You understand that? Like every one of you, and I need to hear that. Like I know what you're capable of, and I love you anyway. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, he is great. He loves me and hates my sin. Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession that we are his and he is ours. For do, we do not have a high priest that who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, this is the part we read for, but one who has been tempted 
all things that we are yet without sin. Here is the verse that I want you to take away. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. In the midst of that, right, everything in your fiber of your being wants to hide and wants to cut the lights out and wants to be not seen in the midst of what I'm ashamed that I'm tempted for or what I have engaged in as that temptation gives birth to sin. But he said, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find mercy in our time of need. So you may have read that, but we have not read it in the context that we need to hear that. He says, I want you to be, I don't want you to kind of mousily come over and said, please, sir, maybe if you have time, can I have some help? Are you reading that? Therefore, because he is awesome and has been beset with temptation yet without sin, that he is ultimate compassion on us. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Guys, that is when our time of need is. Not when I'm broken on the floor, but in the midst of my fight. I want somebody to fight with me. Amen? Up until I was probably in my late 20s, I had never, ever fought my sin. I just felt bad about it. That's not what he saved you for. He saved you to win the battle against sin. You understand that? For many of you, you have never fought. You have walked up to the slide and you've slid down it 100% of the time. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do that. And he wants to know about it. So in, so as we, by way of introduction, I really, really, really encourage you to spend time meditating and just reading and rereading this passage this week. And if you want to talk, I'd be more than happy just to encourage you because this is the day of your salvation if we can understand what this looks like. Because we've had Jesus the whole time, but we have never actually let him enter into my temptation and sin. And that is the place that he wants to be. Let's pray. Father, this seems like the most basic of um, teachings, and yet it's the most profound. Father, nothing, no teaching in the Bible has had more day-to-day impact on me than this teaching. All day long, Christians of every ilk all across this world walk around condemned because they are tempted. How dare I, as a child of God, struggle with things? How dare I go to the Father who has all power of the universe available to me to ask him to help me. How dare I? Father, blind us to both of those lies that I lived, uh, that I lived through for way too long. And Father, I pray the, the folks in this room, Lord, would, would grasp this truth, right? would engage this truth, and would start living from this truth. That today could be the day of our real salvation where we understand what it looks like to live righteously and no longer under putting our our members um, into the yoke of slavery. As a father today, Father, I pray for joy and I pray for hope. Right, I pray for new life. That today that this would begin a new journey of using you Father, of engaging you, of having you help us in a way that we've never let you help us before. 
And so, Father, I pray this earnestly in your name that you would do that for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.